Hey everyone, welcome to Locked On Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. What exactly is jamming up Darvin Ham when it comes to making rotation choices? We'll talk about it next. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everyone for making Locked on Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcasts. Always free, never behind a paywall. Locked on Lakers on YouTube. It's where you can go get angry with over 22,000 subscribers, Andy, who are really annoyed with Darvin Ham, with the front office and the roster and the players and pretty much anybody not named Anthony Davis. Because uh, even LeBron catching some, uh, some shots from the Lakers community for not playing enough defense, not... Not everyone. I think, you know, <laughs> relatively speaking, LeBron is doing okay. Uh, but people are angry at everyone except Anthony Davis, which is a twist, to say the least, in the uh, in the, the typical way that these things work. Um, so um, a lot to uncover or, and unpack today as the Lakers begin what uh, we've described as the first day of the rest of their lives. This January stretch where they play the next 12 games, 11 of them without leaving Los Angeles, and the 12th is a visit to a very under 500 Utah team. Um, if you are good at home, they are very good at home. That's true. That's they true. Are, Utah is a they are very difficult wet. place to play. They Even when they are terrible throughout Utah's history, they are very good in that building because it is filled with vicious fans yes. who, who really um, get on the visitors. And and it's one of the few places where like the Lakers can't just fill the building for a road game, um, so there is that. But like you've you've kind of made the point like if you as a team, the Lakers are a team with champ like real championship aspirations. Whether the roster is that good, whether that's realistic, well, you know, all remains to be seen. Certainly, at the beginning of the year, we were all on board with this team that made the Western Conference Finals, having that kind of capability. You've made the point: if you can't make noise in these twelve games, um, be three or four or five games over five hundred, even against good competition, because you are at home, because there are no back to backs, you kind of can't call yourself a championship contender. Yeah, we got a tweet from somebody who goes by pissed and realistic Lakers fan and asked us, among among others actually, asked us, uh, Alan Sliwa over at 710 ESPN, Trevor Lane and Sean Davis over at Lakers Nation, friends of the show, what will it take for y'all to panic? I really want to know when all y'all will stop excusing this weak, mediocre basketball we're watching. Real question, though, I even want to ask the media, um, first of all, I don't think we've necessarily been excusing anything, but no, you yeah. pose the question. Um, and, and I do think that it is an apropos question because as we've talked about this month, even acknowledging a difficult slate of teams, you are still at home. You're not playing any back-to-backs till the end of the month. You are not leaving the state of California twice until the end of the month. So like, th- this is as good as things realistically shake out for any team in the West, given that there are few bad teams in the West, I feel like if, say, for example, this weekend concludes and the Lakers are below 500, I am going to start really worrying about this team. 
because mm. even though you have a lot of January left to try to get back on track, you have to spend all of that energy in what is supposed to be an advantageous month just getting yourself back to even. And we've seen how this movie goes. And yes, it can be a movie with a really unexpected twist and turn that you know results in the Western Conference Finals that nobody would have seen coming even after the Lakers made those moves that people liked. But it's hard to make, you know, you know how sequels in general can be a dicey business. Yeah, and that, and that, and to be fair, that's not how the movie normally ends. No, no, that, but that's, yeah. that's what I'm getting at. You have to make a sequel that's believable yeah. <laughs> and that feel, that feels organic. It, it, it feels like things are happening in this movie in ways that you can buy. And that often doesn't happen, which is why sequels can be a very dicey proposition and taking this metaphor and beating it to death. I don't want to see the Lakers have to try to force their way into another sequel. No. Um, no. They, they die hard five. <laughs> we don't, we no. <laughs> no. Um, it's funny. Like Hell, even die hard two wasn't that great. At 17 and 17, the Lakers are record-wise better off where now than where they were last year after 34 games. It doesn't feel that way, though, because the conference is not being uh, held back, I believe, by the league. <laughs> Last year, we just made sure that everybody slowed down until the Lakers could get their bleep together. Um, and, they, and, and they did, um, and to their credit. What is tricky here is, you know, based on the chatter, like, I'm not even, I don't know if this is the show where we do, should the Lakers fire Darvin Ham? Like, we, I don't think that's this is the one where we unpack it. We got other things to we want to talk about. Um, both of us have certainly been critical of him, but the chatter around coaching changes you talk about being 500 after at the end of this weekend, going into next week, whatever you you're you, you're one in three after the beginning of this road, you know, homestand and whatever. The 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 chatter around Ham's job security will start to get intense. And I'm not talking just about, you know, Twitter. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, you know, Lakers social media and the deepest, darkest corners of Reddit where weird things happen. Um, it will start to get asked in mainstream places. If the Lakers don't start playing better basketball this month, and even though and the Lakers are not going to fire Ham, I think short of some sort of, real catastrophe in how they're playing or you know anthony davis and, and lebron walk up to genie's office and rob and say like this has got this it's got to change um short of those things they're not firing him which is part of the reason i don't get too deep into these arguments no they are other than extreme circumstances that you just described they're frankly too deep into the season for it to be a practical right. thing to do Right, where are you, who are you going to hire? Who are you going to bring in that's better? What are you going to do that's going to change things up in a positive way? Um, and so, unless you think like Phil Handy or Chris Gent, like somebody on the staff, correct? It would have to be somebody on the staff, like the, the like think. the way that the Lakers hired Frank Vogel to eventually replace him with Jason Kidd, right. for example. <laughs> but you know, like Mark Jackson's out there, Doc Rivers is out there, but like, no, you're not bringing in Doc midseason, I hope. Um, and Mark Jackson is just doesn't strike me as the kind of person to solve this problem. Um, Doc's really good on air. Like, I, I want to keep him on television. Like, <laughs> I, I think I'm he's enjoying listening to him on TV. I think he's really good. But you just, but you don't, 
we we've spent a lot of time talking about the lack of drama that has surrounded the Lakers over the last, really since last year's trade deadline, since Russ was moved. Um, they're dangerously close to undoing that and putting themselves back into that place where the gossip, the rumors, all that kind of stuff starts. And it's around, and it is not a place that you want to be. Particularly when, again, I don't think they're going to make a coaching change um, short of catastrophe. No, it just makes it harder for you to get yourself back on track. It makes it harder. You know, we've talked before about Darvin having arrived with the season last year and established a buy-in really quickly. Stuff like that makes it more difficult for him to maintain that buy-in when all of a sudden players, not without reason, start wondering, is this guy going to get fired? Is he going to be my coach beyond next this season? Because there are a lot of guys who are under contract for a few years. Like It just becomes more difficult. I also was thinking, too, about that idea with Darvin and buy-in and you know confidence in his recent moves or lack thereof. Last year was a season where that buy-in factor, I mean, it always matters, but last year was the season where it was supposed to matter the most because you had the most outwardly difficult things to mm. juggle, namely the Russell Westbrook situation. Right. But there, there were other things as well. Hold that thought, Hold that thought, because I, I, I think the difference, it's one of these places where the difference between last year and this year is not always talked about enough. I think you're starting to get to a really interesting place. So let's do that next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by FanDuel, and the NFL season is wrapping up just one more week in the regular season, but there is plenty of time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So just $150 in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. And the app is really easy to use, a lot of different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. It's the best place to find the popular parlays. And obviously, there are NFL options out there for you. You know, the Lakers winning a championship, those odds. LeBron, Anthony Davis for MVP, AD Defensive Player of the Year, Austin Reeves, Sixth Man of the Year, all sorts of fun stuff. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. Okay. Reminder um, really quick uh, that the Lakers play tonight, 7 p.m. Pacific time against Miami Heat, the first of a critical January home-heavy month. Catch every Lakers game on the hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Search Lakers. Let you know, too, that today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Um, all right, so explain a little bit more what you mean about the difference in like buy-in last year versus buy-in this year and the sort of the need for one in one year versus the other. Well, I mean, look, you always need buy-in sure. when, when it comes to players towards the coach. And by the way, vice versa as well, because players can feel when – a coach does not believe in them individually or collectively as a team. Mm -hmm. But last year, you know, you and I both thought that Rob Palinka, you know, given the constraints that he was working with, albeit self-imposed through the Russell Westbrook deal, he did about as well as he could have working around those margins in reconstructing the roster. But there were still a lot of outward issues 
to deal with. And they were coming off a really sour season that ended with firing Frank Vogel, like all sorts of stuff. Right. If you weren't going to trade Russ going into the season, what they did was about as good as they could do. Exactly. And Darvin Ham was a first-time head coach. He, you know, worked the ranks forever. He had paid his dues. He has a lot of respect around the league, but nonetheless, first time out. And he was being given difficult circumstances. And because of that, I think the buy-in mattered a lot just in terms of establishing yourself as a coaching presence. Right. But I also, think you said Frank. You meant Darwin there. I think you said Frank. But yeah. I, I meant Darwin, yes. Yeah. Um, just the idea of you need to get guys to buy into you as a coach, but also buy into the idea of we are going to work through all this adversity, even though on paper it feels like it could end up futile. And for a lot of the year, it did feel futile. But it really seemed like guys were very bought into Darvin's messaging as a coach. Mm -hmm. This year, with a much better roster and the continuity that they were supposed to have and Darvin theoretically having grown as a coach, buy-in wasn't supposed to be as much of a thing as the actual stuff that you do as a coach, the coaching things, the rotation things, the systems, the X's and O's, that sort of stuff. Again, buy-in matters, but this was not supposed to be a year it's a different where... kind. It's a different kind of buy-in. It's not, we're building a program here. We're building something. I need you to stick with me while we, right. we're going to go through some tough times, but I promise you it's going to be okay on the other side. We Also, too, because like we all know we have this gigantic right. problem that we're, you know, that we're not going to talk about, but we're going to have to deal with it, and it will get fixed at some point. That's been done. We don't talk about Russ, so right, no, exactly. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, like, and so, like, that was the 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 thing. Like this year, though, the buy-in is more around. Here's the style we're going to play. Here's the rotation. It's a buy-in of execution versus spirit. Yes, I get the sense that you think they're they're not doing as well. Darwin is not doing as well uh, with the buy-in of execution versus the buy-in of spirit. I mean. We've spent a lot more time over the last few weeks wondering about moves that he's made as opposed to like last year, even with like the three guard heavy lineup that I thought Darvin at times imposed on himself more than what was necessary or even logical. You could at least understand where he was thinking from a skill position. You know, the, there are, are more guards that are better players than some of my bigs. This is the way that I have to go. Again, I think there were times where he hung on to it more than he needed to. There are certainly times well after the trade deadline, i.e. opening up game one against Denver small, where it's like, the hell are you doing, man? Right. But don't, like, be, don't be cute. Right. But this year was supposed to be more about, okay, you've got a roster to work with. Let's see what you come up with in the lab. And I'm not going to say that every single decision Darvin has made has been bad. There have been decisions where there have been games where I think he's done a very good job in the coaching part of this. But it has felt like he has had a difficult time landing on what he wants beyond the injury reasons. Like it is, it has felt like he has not decided in terms of how will I go about executing this thing that I want. And that becomes a little bit troubling. Here's where I think I, I disagree with you slightly, only in the sense that I think what what I see the problem as 
is he's been slow to adjust to the the ways in which the reality doesn't match what he wants because I think we're saying kind of the same thing. I think so too. I agree. Okay. But like, I, I, I just sort of, that's how I look at it is I think he had a vision of what the, what the, the, the style of play was going to look like, what, who were going to be some of the players that in it and certain things got in the way in what seemed like a positive way. It starts with Cam Reddish. Like, Ooh, look at this guy. Like we're going to be able to use this guy um, more than we thought we were going to. And that creates, um, a ripple effect down the line in the rotation, no question about that. But it also kind of it creates this situation where you're like, you know what? I've seen it. I, I can make this work. It's you know, you take you know, you go to. There's always the friend that you have when you go to the strip club who looks at and says, "I can save you." Uh, <laughs> it's like you um, being the dancer, not you. Your friend is not saying that to you. No, saying that to the dancer. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you still have a few too many drinks and you, you think you can change the world. It's like you cling to certain ideas and certain things because you've seen the possibility of it. I think Jackson Hayes outperforming expectations early in the season in, in, in terms of training camp uh, and all that kind of stuff. He suddenly injected himself into the rotation in ways that I think were a little bit un, unexpected. Um, and now Darwin's got too many guys. Um, which is actually a problem that we talked about going into the year. Like you're going to have to whittle this roster down a little bit um, and the rotation down, excluding some guys who deserve to play just based on resume. I think what he's had trouble doing is adjusting to the reality of like, I don't have Gabe Vincent, Gabe Vincent playing the Dennis Schroeder role. I think this has caused an enormous amount of problems for what the Lakers want to do because they've lost 25% of their backcourt rotation um, and a guy who there is no one there to replicate what he does. Russell Reeves are much more duplicative in each other than they are of what Vincent does. They needed Vincent to be that guy who could provide a Schroederian, a Schroederian influence or whatever it is, like play that role to change up the looks and the options that to some degree, hasn't yes. been there. They're they're yeah. not exactly the same player, but to they're some not degree, the same player, but they're serving the same kind of role. Well, if nothing um, else, he was a ball handling guard off the bench, right? With what he was supposed, but but a guy with a defensive orientation, I was and, say. And like all that kind of stuff. Like he is meant to whether it's a a good replacement or not. We really haven't had a chance to see, but he was meant to fill the Schroeder role in certain um, respects. Absolutely. And Darwin not having that, it's screwed him up. I think he has not reacted well to not having the option of Vanderbilt. Um, you know, in terms of like, how much do I play Reddish? What do I do here? How do I adjust to the personnel that I am given versus the vision that we want to have? To me, I think that's where he's been slow and challenged. And, and it seems like they're kind of throwing darts. And it does get difficult. And I always end up sounding like I'm, I'm sticking up for Darwin, but and to some degree, I'm sticking up for just the challenges that coaches face. You know, Rui not being healthy, not playing particularly well at stretches when he has been, has been a problematic. Reeves's terrible start screwed up everything because now you feel like you got to make a starting a change to your lineup, pulling him from the starting lineup, doing all these things where he's actually performed better. Um, as a reserve. Now, I think if you put him back in the starting lineup, he'd be just fine. But now you're limited because you're short that other guard. Like, it's, some of it's roster construction, some of it's Darwin's 
I think clinging to ideas and then not knowing where plan B is. Well, I mean, the um, other thing it, just, they, they do feel rudderless right now. Look, it, whether you think these are legitimate, like legitimately difficult questions to figure out, or you think Darvin Ham's overthinking them, the bottom or line both. is the answer right. can be both. Sure. But the, I, I don't mean even you necessarily specifically, but the Royal, you people sure. listening, people watching, whatever. Yeah. The just bottom, they're not mutually exclusive. Right. The bottom line is it's his job to figure it out. Yes. And it's felt, it has felt, especially since winning the IST that they are a regressing as a team and B that he seems less certain about what he wants, how to go about enacting a vision for a team. Does he need to change the vision, alter it, whatever? Me, it let is, me ask you, I get the impression, and we can answer this quickly and you can carry it over or answer it if it's a short answer. I get the impression that when they got rolling through the IST, the way they played in the semis, in the finals and all that stuff, I think as a group, they were like, ah, we. this is the thing that we've been waiting for. Like everything kind of fell into position like, Good. We're going to roll now. We know what we are, whatever. And then when they came out of the IST and they played like booty butt, um, I think it threw everybody off. I think every, like suddenly this, like they thought they were ready to take off and they went backwards. And I think it's thrown the entire locker room coaching staff players for a big loop. Yeah. Um, talk about that a little bit more coming up next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Game Time. And when I was around 12 years old, the police were on the synchronicity tour. It was, at the time, arguably the hottest ticket in the world. I tried and couldn't get seats. But then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to put any more effort in this. I'm just going to catch the next police tour. And they broke up afterwards. And I learned from that experience when it comes to a concert that you want to see, Carpe Diem, my friends, do not miss out. And that's why I love Game Time. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy shows, and theater near you. And with killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets, start getting hyped for the fun. And I love how they have the images of seat views. They've got the lowest price guarantee, job loss protection. And the game time guarantee means you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or less or row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. So snag the tickets without the stress using game time. Download the game time app, create an account, use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code LOCKDOWNNBA for 20 bucks off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. Um, I want to save some time to talk a little bit about Max Christie and Cam Reddish because um, I know you you have some interesting numbers there, um, and it gets to I think a little bit of what I was talking about in the last segment about like sometimes needing to not be lured in by this thing this that looks good, but ultimately kind of messes with your game plan a little bit. Um, this thing being Cam Reddish, but like, do you do you agree that like? Mentally, I think they're the way they've played after looking so good through the the important parts of the IST. I think is is, is frustrated them as as a group. Well, I think that they did not anticipate it taking as much out of them. Like I I don't think I don't think they necessarily thought about okay, we're going to go all out to win this thing while thinking about the rest of the travel in their calendar. 
you know, you don't know how much this thing is going to take out of you that it being the first time around until you actually do it. Right. Sort of one of those things that can't be measured in real time. I think it really matters for somebody like LeBron, who over the last few years has made a point of pacing himself through the calendar, pacing himself through games. This was a stretch where he went all out over the course of 48 minutes, a lot more than normal. And you know, pointed this out to you before, in the games since the IST final, then if you look at the net rating for the players, LeBron's is the worst on this team. Like they have actually had a positive net rating with LeBron off the court. That never happens. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to, I'm not making the point that LeBron has been like God awful during this period or anything like that, or their struggles are all LeBron. But I think it speaks to how unusual things have grown. They also too have had guys in and out of the lineup. You know, that period where they were cruising through the IST was also a period where they probably had the most continuity that they mm -hmm. had had in a while. Yeah. So they've been dealing with some of that as well, like they did in the beginning of the year that tripped them up. So I, I think it is frustrating to them that they both can't regain that form and that that form seems to be growing further and further away as a memory to where they are now. But again... Where they are in January with this home-heavy schedule, this is an opportunity. And yeah, for, for sure. They, they, it may not be an easy opportunity, but it's an opportunity they need to cash in on it. So one of the things that I, I've thrown out there as a potential starting lineup thing was like swap out Christie for Reddish. You keep a little bit of that defensive integrity um, and theoretically at least a little, a little more offense, a little more structure in your offense with Christie versus Reddish. It's a little bit more of a moot point now because it doesn't seem, it seems like Darwin is planning to split up Vanderbilt and, and Reddish again based on his comments before Hachimura got hurt. He might go back to it. Uh, he might do a lot of things, but even it, it's still an interesting question of like, you have Cam Reddish, you have Max Christie. How do you use them? Which guy would you, I, I think I would tilt more of my minutes, despite Reddish's superior defense, to Christie, um, based on I feel like he is a better bridge between giving you both sides um, where your offense doesn't crater, because Reddish has been a terrible offensive player, and um, your defense still has some structure to it. Um, well, I mean, first of all, Again, a reminder that the Lakers tonight play the Miami Heat, 7 p.m. Uh, again, first of a critical January home-heavy month. You can catch every Lakers game on the hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the XM app, Search Lakers. The, that idea that Christie is more of an offensive bridge than Reddish, mm -hmm. I understand why you would feel that way. Um, and I think what makes this interesting is, in a lot of ways, it speaks to the idea of how something feels versus what it actually is. Mm -hmm. But if you take a look at their offensive numbers, and I, I was thinking about this because you've brought it up a few times, so I did a deep dive. They are really, really mm -hmm. similar. For example, Reddish for the season, he is averaging 39% from the field, rounding down, 30% from behind the arc, rounding up, 10.1% points per game per 36 minutes. He has 24% on catch and shoot threes, 2.6 a game, 40% on pull-up threes, but less than half a game, 49% on layups, and 58% in the restricted area. Max Christie, 
39% from the field, rounding up. 31% on threes, rounding up. 9.7 points per game per 36 minutes. 30.2% on catch-and-shoot threes, 1.9 per game. 37.5 on pull-ups from three, but like Reddish, less than half per game. 22% on layups, 50% in the restricted area. Like Christie is a better mid-range shooter, but Reddish takes so few from that area, and Christie right. takes so few shots, period. I don't know if it matters. Per right, 36, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to go, right. Even, yeah. even in 36 minutes, it's hard to kind of... Right, taking it even further, per 36 minutes, their assists are identical. Reddish, mm -hmm. 2.3. Christie, 2.2. And you and I have talked about before, like, Christie sometimes seems like he is the safer guy out there because he will take, I think, fewer outward risks with the ball. Um, and Reddish, I think, is a better – I think he is a more capable or skilled playmaker but will also try to make more passes than he shouldn't. That being said, Christie averages more turnovers per 36 than Reddish and with basically the same usage rate. They have the same usage rate on the season. And Reddish's assist to turnover ratio is way better than Christie's. Some of that comes, I think, from when Christie is used, he is often put in a position where he's like there, he's running the offense. Right. He's, you know, handling the ball, running pick and roll. What I think happens if you put him in with the starting group, because like if you go through it's interesting, if you go through like net ratings and lineups and stuff like that. When Christie plays with the better players on the team, like the the results are often pretty good. Sure. Um, you know, in terms of net rating and and things like a lot of their best lineups, um, depending on how you want to break a lot of this stuff down. Um, and there are a lot of good people who you know who have done this in different ways. A lot of those like good lineups just include him. And I think that the biggest difference between Christie and Reddish to me isn't their individual statistical output. It is not that I think Christie is an offensive player who is going to score more points or you know become a dynamic force in the offense. I actually think it's because he is less I think he will play a very specific role which is basically attack the basket when you know the when the lane is there um or he will spot up and shoot threes. And I think over time, the fact that he's not doing a lot of the other stuff that Reddish sometimes does, because Reddish believes he is a more talented, I think, offensive player. He's a more assertive player. He's been in the league a little bit longer, whatever it is. I think the impact of Christie just making simple plays, moving the ball to the next guy, taking the spot-up shot when it's there, I think he would be a better fit overall. I think he'd be better than Christie. Um, I'm better sorry, than better Reddish. than Reddish overall in terms of the flow of the entire offense without sacrificing tons and tons okay. of defense. What I think is interesting about that, though, and then we can go, and I want to make it clear, and I think everydayers know this, I've been an advocate for Christie playing more, sure. frankly, more than you've been, and, Brian. And by the way, last right, last year I was the one saying, pump the brakes, the results have right. been really not so good. Between the two of us, I've been far more of a consistent advocate for Christie playing more than you, so mm -hmm. I want to make sure people understand these numbers that I'm bringing up is not me making the case against Christie playing. I want to see him play. 
That said, the numbers that I bring up do show that there is not much evidence in terms of what you're talking about. And what I think is interesting about that is how much of that can just be what it feels like nope. as opposed to what we're seeing. Because particularly, I want to make it clear, as an offensive bridge, Christie, as a defensive player, I think we've seen a lot of effectiveness. But as an offensive bridge or like a middle ground between, say, Rui and Reddish, this season... There has been little actual evidence of that being better with Christie than Reddish in particular. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this at you. The LeBron, Anthony Davis, D'Angelo Russell, Torian Prince, Cam Reddish in 151 minutes has a net rating of three point three. Sure. I should say, so basically flat. Even yeah. LeBron, AD, Russell, Prince, and Christie in 72 minutes is a plus 13. Okay. Like it just, I think when you start to make, you know, these little sort of little comparisons across. Yeah, I mean, I would smaller, want to see more context of the when they play because 72 course, is such a small. Of course, course. 72 minutes is in a time. Like none of this is based on huge sample sizes because right. huge sample sizes, particularly with Christie, are not available. No. Um, and what I, I'm not talking about Max Christie as like a savior to this no. thing. It's just one of these little things where. It, it's our and and by the way, it only works if you use Christie all towards his strengths and make sure you're not asking him to be a pick and roll initiator. And you have you have to be patient because right. as an inexperienced player, there's going to be mistakes. And for the time being, even though I think he has a future as a shooter, for the time being, it ain't there. It hasn't. He has not shown himself to be a dead eye. And I think fans. <laughs> Give dead eye. He's barely him, been a live eye shooter. <laughs> He's not been a good shooter. Fans like the concept of Christie. They yeah. he is a lot of the the anger with you know the you put this guy and put that guy and whatever is really anger at Darwin for not doing something different that they think will work. Do something different. Um, in this particular case, I think this is a tweak that would help them in terms of the flow of the offense and the combinations that are better. But it ain't. It's not the thing that solves stuff. Um, it just gets into like these things like reddish isn't really doing anything wrong other than, and look, I come with my own biases cause I'm not a cam reddish fan. Oh, all, um, all the viewers in the YouTube comments, uh, they tell you, they think you hate reddish. And I think we are, re you reach a point of diminishing returns. The, the criticism of reddish has always been, can you, okay, you can do it for a month. Can you do it for four? And I think the answer is no. Um, and I think he is a, Whereas Christie, I think, could be a level offensive player. Reddish is a negative. And, and so, you, especially if you want to play Vanderbilt, like it's just, there's not everybody can play, is really what this gets down to. He's sure. to make really hard choices that aren't going to be quote unquote fair. Sitting down Jackson Hayes at this point is fair because Jackson mm -hmm. Hayes has not played well. Sitting down Cam Reddish or cutting deep into his minutes, that is not fair in the traditional sense of what that word means. And coaches are sensitive to fair and unfair based on performance because locker rooms are yeah. sensitive to that. Um, Locked on Lickers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, hang out with over 30, uh, 35,000. It's a little aggressive. 22,000. We're getting there, baby. We're, We're getting, getting 22,000 subscribers, all of whom will be waiting patiently to find out what happens after tonight's game against the Heat. We, of course, will be back to recap it all, and we'll see you tomorrow.